Well, hello again, church. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. If you're going to be using a, a pew Bible uh, like I have right here, it's page 910. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm one of, I have the privilege of being one of the ministers on staff here. And uh, today we're going to be continuing on, just a continuation of what, we, what Jordan started talking about last week, about how ODCC, like this is the heartbeat of what we are doing. We exist to bring the kingdom of God nearer. And today we're going to be talking more about what we are going to be doing in order to fulfill that purpose. Now, I have to be very honest here. When the leaders of this church, when we first started talking about and they said the words, new vision, my eyes started to glaze over and I was mouth breathing, all right? Because uh, I always have internal resistance and I start to shut down when I hear buzzwords like new vision and new things because I have never imagined the church as something that needs to be re-envisioned. And I'm not saying that ODCC has all of this stuff figured out. I mean, spend more than 30 seconds in here. We will dissolve you of that disillusion, all right? We don't have it all figured out. But let's be real. 2020 has been a gut punch, hasn't it? Can I get a testimony? Yes. Almost five years ago to the day, I realized this morning, it was five years ago. Actually, no, six years ago now. It was 2014. Uh... I, was, I came here as a guest worship leader, and, and I heard God's word preached. I saw God's spirit moving amongst this body of believers, and Carrie and I went home with tears in our eyes, realizing that we wanted to be a part of it, and that meant we were going to be leaving the church that we knew and loved back in Illinois. And I care very deeply about making this church, about making that sort of spirit alive and happening here at ODCC. But I also want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with God's model for the church. We don't need to improve on it, but we do need to go back to the original model, back to the original way of thinking. And the original power and the principles that the church was built on, and when we do that, we will provide the world what it so desperately needs. In Matthew 13, it's a lesser-known uh, parable. It's called the parable of the weeds, or your Bible might have it, uh, the tares. Uh, I heard a teaching on this recently that kind of uh, shed new light on this. I always had a hard time making sense of this parable. Essentially, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a farmer who sows a field full of good seeds to, to, in order to grow wheat. And overnight, an enemy of his comes and sows tares, or weeds, among the wheat, so when these plants started to grow up, and uh, the weeds and the wheat, they start to look very similar. And, but they realize very quickly, like, hey, we got weeds going on here. This is a problem. And so the workers go to the master, and he says, and they say, what are we supposed to do with this? Should we rip out the weeds? And he realizes that the root structure of the weeds is going to then threaten the wheat. And so the, the head of the farm, he says, no, let them grow together. And then when it comes harvest time, we're going to separate them at that time because we can't lose the good seed. And Jesus is using this as an illustration that the authentic and the inauthentic will be revealed for what they are, all in good time. And what I want you to understand is that when there is something that is needed, when there's something that the world desperately is crying out for, if there's something of value, 
It doesn't take very long for a cheap knockoff or an imitation to come along the way. And the imitation will be very close to the original, but not nearly as good. And to illustrate this, a long time ago, this was actually when uh, we were in the hospital, uh, Carrie had just given birth to Connor, and I had an incident where I dropped my phone in the toilet. Anyone else ever do that? Okay. <laughs> Thankfully, it was clean water, I promise, but uh, this was in 2010. I mean, I had a sweet Motorola Razor, all right, that, back when flip phones were all the rage. But I dropped my phone. I needed a new phone. And this was also right about at the time, like the second model, the iPhone was becoming more and more popular. Smartphones were, were out there. But we just had our second kid. Carrie was getting ready to stay at home with, uh, to help raise them. And so we didn't have iPhone money. But I needed a new phone. So I went on eBay and I found this phone that promised it was just like an iPhone. It, it even showed a picture of the home screen. Sure enough, man, it looked like the real deal. And the best part of it, it was only $50. And all I had to do was wait six weeks for it to come from Hong Kong. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? And you can imagine what I received in the mail a few weeks later. And yeah, the home screen had all the apps, but about a third of them worked. Uh, None of them would connect to the internet. It could make and receive calls and text messages, but that was about it. But here's my favorite part. is You know, like on a real iPhone, you have this really cool thing etched into the back. Here's what mine said. It's a phone. (laughs) It's not wrong, but it looked like the real thing, but it was not the real thing. And another illustration I heard on this that I thought worked really well, he said, if you walk down a cereal aisle, I I did recently, and you see the bountiful harvest of cereals that are available there for your consumption. And I'm truly a nine-year-old at heart, so one of my favorite cereals is Lucky Charms. All right, anyone else? Still love, yes? Okay, still love Lucky Charms. Thank you. <laughs> but, but if you go down the aisle a little bit, you, you, you see you have the Lucky Charms, you have the, the real thing, and then you have Marshmallow Mateys. All right? And now, here's the thing. It, now, I know, here's the game. If you're like uh, my son, Ethan, if you get, no matter which one you're getting, you usually you eat all the marshmallows first, and then you just push the other stuff around until breakfast is over. And so you know the game. But when you look at the packaging, I mean, they even look quite a bit alike. I mean, they're both red. I mean, you put a leprechaun onto the marshmallow mateys, and you might think you have the same thing. But if you eat them, if you actually have a bowl, I mean, the marshmallow mateys can't hold a candle to Lucky Charms, Right? My point is, is that when, when our enemy found the original church, when, our, when Satan saw the potential of what the church could be, you don't think Satan was paying attention when Jesus told Peter that on this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And so Satan, when he, when he hears this, he doesn't just try to create something better. No, he plants weeds. He tries to give us a phone, <laughs> or a bowl of these mateys. He creates things that look like churches, they sound like churches, and on occasion they act like churches, but they're not the church. They're missing the key ingredients and the right formula that will make it exactly what it's supposed to be. And he's smart because he only gets us to go one degree off course. He just pulls one thing out that no one's going to notice initially. But before you know it, it's been 40 years, and we can't even see the truth. It's so far away. And so today we're going to be answering this question, what are we supposed to be about? What does a church, the real thing, look like? 
We are so used to our way of doing church that we can't shake out of our current systems and try to reclaim a New Testament church. But if we pay attention to the Bible, we can realize that the same power that birthed the original church is still available to us today. And that power, the Holy Spirit, shows our systems for what they truly are, a fiction that we concocted that prevents us from eating the lucky charms. So all we have left is this bowl of nonsense with a terrible name. So in Acts chapter 2, that's going to be our main text, starting in verse 42. But it's important to know what happened in the first 41 verses. Uh, We had these events on the day of Pentecost where the disciples of Jesus were gathered together and a great wind came and shook the place where they were meeting. And tongues of fire separated over their heads and they had began to prophesy and talk about the great works of God. In Jerusalem, now this was also a holy day already for the Jewish people. And so you had devout Jews from every corner of the planet who came into Jerusalem to worship that during this time. And this means that you had people speaking all sorts of languages But when they heard what the disciples of Jesus were saying, everyone was like, I can understand them. They are speaking my mother tongue. And how weird is it? Okay, so the great wind, we we get that. God often does that. The the fire, yes, that's something we see in the Old Testament where God reveals his presence. But how weird is it that the Holy Spirit comes in this way and decides to say, "This uh, this is how I'm going to show my presence is the languages. And if you want to hear a longer sermon on this, you can tune into our Bible study from this past Wednesday, but I'm going to sum it up this way. In this time, in the Roman culture, if you didn't worship God and you had the Roman gods, it wasn't unheard of for an oracle to get a word from the gods and they would just babble nonsense and someone else would have to interpret it. Now, because if you were getting a word from the gods, you wouldn't expect to understand it. They're speaking the language of the gods. Why would I understand it? And so you'd have to have a priest interpret it for me. But here when God comes, he makes his presence known by making sure he's saying, I want you to hear me. I don't, when you come to me, I'm going to make sure that you hear from me. Not what someone else has to tell you about me. I want you to hear what I have to say. I just want to highlight the grace that is on display in this moment. The Holy Spirit descended that day, and it filled the believers, and they began to preach with power. Peter gives a sermon to his Jewish audience, and he ties together Old Testament prophecies and this moment and all the events events from Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. And many in his audience, we read in chapter 2 that they were cut to the heart, and they asked, what should we do? And over 3,000 people were added to their number that day. They became disciples of Jesus. This was the beginning of the church as we know it today, but I don't think we know it that way today. Instead, at churches, we see social clubs with a little bit of Jesus splashed in. We create echo chambers of people who look like us and think like us so that we can just have our own, th- own, our own thoughts vomited back to us because that makes us feel safe and secure in the world. And I get it. There's security in that thought. It's like a warm, blank, a warm blanket, but I have to ask, brothers and sisters, at what point did Jesus tell us that we were going to be safe in this world? When did Jesus promise to stop challenging our thoughts and our preconceptions? Jesus brought truth and light into this world, and they killed him for it. 
If we call ourselves his disciples, why would we expect anything less? So as we come to the heartbeat of our text today, and I want to make this our focus, that we are not looking at what they did so long ago. This is what we do. This is what we are supposed to be about. Let's fix that one degree that we took a step off forever ago, and let's go back to the beginning to rediscover the power in what we should have been doing all along. So let's read in our text, Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, any as he had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So what are we supposed to be about? And the first thing, we find it right there in verse 42, is that a church that is led by the Spirit is a church that cares about learning God's Word and lets God's Word shape their lives. That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Peter just preached earlier in this chapter highlighting everything God had been doing in the Old Testament and everything that God accomplished in the life of Jesus and in the death of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus. And this teaching ripped the fabric of the reality of the world as they knew it. And so they asked, what should we do? They responded to hearing the word. They know that everything's changed now. I can't go back to the way that I used to live. I can't go back to that. And this is what believers of God are to do. They spend time in the word of God so that they know who God is. They see how God keeps his promises every time so that when they hear God says, I will do something, they will bet their lives on that. Remember, we don't get together here on Sundays just to remind ourselves that one day there's this place beyond the clouds that we might get to go there if we live our lives right. That's a great and comforting thought, but what does that have to do with today? What does that have to do with living in the power of the kingdom of God every day? When we're in the word, when we live out the truth of God's word before the world, they will see a God who can be trusted And I believe that one person can bring forth a powerful testimony. But if it's just one person, then their message is fully dependent on them, on their charisma and their ability to communicate. But if a group of people, all of us gather together, centering their lives around the power of the Holy Spirit, that can start a movement that will change realities. And it starts with knowing and hearing the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with a cup of coffee and God's Word in the morning, just to start your day. But We are like sponges. We can fill ourselves with water, but if we are never wrung out, if that is never shared, then we're no good to anybody. We'll just eventually get moldy and get thrown away. Uh, But what we are learning from God's word needs to be shared with others in community. And yes, this is going to take effort. It's going to take changing priorities. But if the sponge is never wrung out, it's worthless. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
And I'm going to be fully honest here. When we first shut down back in March, I, I lost it for a, a while. And I don't think I'm alone saying that. I fell out of my routine. I just felt dull and lifeless. But I realized something that how alive I feel when, when I feel like I'm on my game, when I'm sharp, it, it, it never has anything to do with me. I look back on those times in my life when I felt dead spiritually and without fail, I had fallen out of my time in the Word. I had abandoned my source of strength. And we talked about this last week when Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, in Luke chapter 9, their first message always was the kingdom of God is at hand. Signs and wonders and healings, all of that was secondary to the fact that God's kingdom is available now and that it is open for everyone. All can participate. We are the bearers of the good news of God's kingdom. We are to tell the world that there is a God in heaven who cares about you, who has kept every promise he ever made, and he is worthy of our trust and allegiance. A lot of research has been done trying to answer this question, what do people look for when they look for a church? And I'm ashamed to admit I've spent a lot of time worrying about this. I try to pay attention to trends in church growth and which programs do we need to offer so that we can attract more people. And I realize that it, it's all backwards because I was trying to get that recipe for Lucky Charms, but the best I could come up with was Marshmallow Mateys. We can create programs that will attract people. We can do that. But if they come in these doors, if they see anything less than a community of people that has shaped itself in response to the earth-shattering reality of God's kingdom shown in the word of God, then we need to shut the doors and stop wasting each other's time. And here's what I believe. Whether you've been a part of ODCC forever or if you're, you're going to be called to move away and if you're looking for another church, when you're looking at your checklist, numbers 1 through 25 should be, are they preaching the word of God clearly about Jesus? Not being watered down to make it more palatable. Is the truth of who Jesus is and what he came here to do, is that being clearly preached and taught? And I've got to tell you, that's what brought me here is hearing that truth, and it's still being preached today. And the second part of that question, though, is that here's the kicker, is that you can hear the truth. You can hear God's word, but if you are not going to respond to it, if you hear God's word being preached and nothing changes in you, then something's missing in you. There are several verses in the Bible. I love this. In the, the Bible talks about tasting, about eating. That's always about experiencing God, he, he compares it to a good meal. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus uses many parables talking about a great feast. And as my friends know, that I have a joke about me being fat. Paul, when I used to be a lot heavier than this, I love a good meal. And what we are trying to do here is that when we gather each week around the word of God, we are trying to give people a taste of something that is so sweet and so powerful that it will create a hunger for more of it. Every couple of weeks, I have this wrestling match with uh, Connor uh, because whenever it's taco night, all right, yes, I have the one child in the country who doesn't love tacos. I don't get it. And every time, I'm just saying, Connor, I know you're going to like it. There's no way you won't like it. He says, no, I don't like it. And I'm like, just try it. And, but he fights me. And what we're doing here, what we're trying to offer them the, 
offer the world, just give them a taste of what God's kingdom is like. Is like. Don't just listen to me about me tell you how much you're going to like it. Have a taste. Because when you do, when you have the real thing, marshmallow maidies won't do it for you anymore. You're going to want the leprechaun in the box. The second point I want to make here is that the church should be filled with people in authentic relationships, in mutual submission to each other. It's what we call fellowship. Once again, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we know how to do this naturally. I mean, we find the silliest things to create communities around, don't we? I mean, I have sports fans in the room, and some of you aren't, and that's okay, but you know I'm a Chicago man, and I love my Bears, I love my Cubs, and I love my Blackhawks, and I know I have Lions fans in the room, but we can at least agree on this, is that the true antichrist is that football team in Wisconsin, right? All right? Okay, all right. A couple of years ago, this church showed my family a huge amount of love, and they sent us to, uh, uh, for my birthday, they sent us to go watch the Cubs play the Tigers in Tiger Stadium. And, and I was, it was so funny, because we, we were down in all of our Cubs gear, and we walked around, about 60% of the stadium had clothes similar to ours, and we just kept, you know, nodding to each other, like, yep, yeah, we're here, we're all Cubs fans. Now, I have not talked to one other person who has gone to that game uh, with me, but we had community that day. We were all buddies. As humans, we know how to fellowship. We know how to have things in common. And this is what we need to rediscover. Not how to socialize, but how to fellowship. Socializing is a part of it, but it's much, much deeper than that. Fellowship in the early church was mutual submission to the word of God and to each other. And so if you're thinking that, well, I don't, every time I get together with a buddy, I don't want to have a Bible study. I didn't say that. But what God is doing in our lives, the insights that we are gaining from his word, how he is answering our prayers, and the concerns that are being laid on our hearts, if those things are not shared, then biblically, what you're doing can't be called fellowship. If we come together around who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives, then all of our conversations about the ball game, about all the other nonsense that we can sometimes fill our lives with, all of that can be turned into an avenue for God to fill our lives. And our fellowship will include us praying together. And I know this is difficult for some of you, but prayer doesn't have to be as formal as we make it. It doesn't have to be folding your hands and bowing your heads in worship. I mean, we know that a Sunday school teacher made that rule so the kids wouldn't stab each other, right? I mean, that's the only reason because I don't see that posture in the Bible. But when you're talking with someone and they mention something that they're struggling with and you say, I'm praying for you, you can pray right then and there, you can pray later, but when you know that someone is praying for you, does that not advance the relationship already? Has anyone ever truly gotten mad to know that you are praying for them? So doesn't that knowledge and having those deeper relationships, isn't that better than just getting together for coffee and talking about the news, especially these days? 1 John 1, verse 3, so that, you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we talked last week about how many opportunities we are going to be giving you in order to draw together in fellowship with others. Some will be formal, some will be informal, and I want to encourage you, make this a part of your lives. Prioritize this. Because it's going to be new for some of you, but I can tell you this, in my 12 years of ministry, What I've seen over and over and over again is that those who withdraw from the community of believers, their lives tend to implode a lot more quickly than those who are in the fold. And that's not because we got it all together. (laughs) 
Heck no, that is not why. That is absolutely false. But burdens and struggles and problems are more easily identified and dealt with when you have brothers and sisters in Christ who will come alongside you and you can share your burdens with them. And then we get to pay it forward and help shoulder the load of someone else's burden the next time and on and on and on it goes. And this is what each one of the programs that we either have been doing or what we are starting, this is what they are about. It is an opportunity for fellowship with believers. And almost all the time, it's going to be outside the church building. Because you don't need to come here and have a church service every day to accomplish this. You need to take responsibility to seek the fellowship so that the Holy Spirit can help you grow and display its power in you. Continuing on in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor among all the people. And I'm told that that glad and generous hearts could also be translated as unaffected joy. That when the church was together, they went to the temple and their spirits were renewed. There was life and there was joy. And people noticed Psalm 22 says that God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. And I love that imagery so much more than God inhabiting the praises of his people. Because if God is enthroned on our praise, that means that we are lifting him up above the crowds, above the noise, so that the world can see him. But in church, we have limited the scope of our worship to music. It's not just music. Even though that can be a part of our worship. Sometimes it's hearing someone say, God answered a prayer for me, of mine this week, and we can share in that joy. Worshiping can be the tiniest little things. Those moments throughout our week that remind us of God's goodness, and we give him thanks for it. It's moments like, literally, I was working on this part of the sermon, and my phone buzzed, and Caitlin Reinhout uh, knew I was pulling double duty this week, and she just said, hey, is there anything I can do to help you? And I just have a moment where I worship God for the way that he just makes things come together. Sometimes the best acts of worship will be those that you perform when your life's in the toilet. I mean, read the book of Job. This guy lost all of his children. He lost his house. He lost his possessions. He lost his health. And it's going to seem like a joke, but the only thing he didn't lose was his wife. And if you read the book, she was a bit of a chore, all right? I mean, all right, how do I navigate this? Okay. She challenged him in ways that weren't always healthy, okay? And so, but I'm sure she's a wonderful lady, but she's not the hero of that story. And yet, in that story, when Job went to God, he finally addressed God and asked these questions. Why? Why is this happening to me? I have done nothing wrong. Why, why is all of this terrible stuff happening to me? And God's response has always bothered me. Because he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of this world? Have you seen where I store the snow? And Job shuts up. And God never once answers the question, why? Because what we are to learn from that story is that when it comes to God, we are never going to know it all. But we know enough. He has shown enough of his goodness to us that even when it doesn't make sense, we can trust him. It's a lesson we need to learn because serving God does not save you from this world. Christians are going to lose their jobs. Christians are going to lose loved ones to sickness. Christians die in car accidents. Christians get depressed 
depressed, anxious, discouraged, disappointed. Christians face all of the bad things that this world has to offer, and sometimes even a bit more. But Christians know that even when they can't understand everything that God does, what he has revealed to them is enough. Because we know who God is, the word of God speaks to us. The fellowship of God encourages us and teaches us. ODCC will gather and praise and testify together to the inbreaking of God's kingdom and seek to bring that kingdom even nearer than it is now. Don't come watch us do it. Please, join us in doing this because we are done wasting each other's time with lesser things. And as I draw to a close... Here's a sales pitch. Here's the best part of everything we've been talking about. We're not in charge of the result. In verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who's responsible for the result? God is. He calls us to bring the good news into the world, to display his kingdom to the world, and invite more people. We are to call out to the world, come and have a taste, and I promise you're going to want more. When we respond in faith to be what God calls us to be, he is the one who will connect our lives to the testimony of his word and the testimony of his his church. He is the one who will put you into the places, those intersections in your life, be it at work, at your neighborhood. He will bring people across your path who need to hear that Jesus cares about them. And this is what we are invited to be a part of. This church, the one that we read about today, the one that God used to unleash his kingdom on this world, this church is still changing lives today. Do you want to be a part of that church? We were talking about this on Wednesday night, and we read those verses, and Brad's honest response was like, that sounds like something I want to be a part of. Don't we all? But are we going to offer the world that church? Or are we going to be like the generic Are we going to care about what the word of God says before we care about what we say? Do we value the relationships in this church more than the cheap versions and the ones that the world offers us? Where it's like cotton candy, it's all fluff, there's no substance. Will we live lives before the world that are committed to worship? To inspire ourselves and others that there is a God in heaven who is worthy of praise and glory. And so I'm walking down the cereal aisle. Uh, I was taking pictures of cereal on Thursday morning, so everyone thought it was insane. So, uh, but I'm seeing the marshmallow mateys, and they're cheaper than the Lucky Charms. I mean, and I'm thinking, like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay the extra buck to eat the Lucky Charms. But what if you walked down the aisle and it was $5 cheaper? Well, now I'm listening. All right, I'll, I'll save $5 on my grocery bill and eat the mateys. I mean, I, I can act like a pirate. That's okay. Uh, But what if I told you that there was a coupon in that bag of the Marshmallow Mateys that would pay you $100 to eat their cereal? All you have to do is not buy the real thing. And here's what Jesus says. The variations, the generics, the world will pay you for eating them. It will make promise after promise after promise to get you to eat them. And Jesus says to get mine, to get the real thing, it's going to cost you everything. The genuine will cost you everything you have, but I'm here to tell you, it's worth it. When the Holy Spirit is empowering everything we do, then no matter the cost, we'll be willing to pay it. Let's stand and sing.